The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. This episode is sponsored by Mosey Pro for Business. everyone welcome along to the very first episode of the boys of tech for the year 2012 this one is episode 149 for monday the 16th of january 2012 my name is edwin herman i'd like to welcome my co-host alec doughty happy new year to you al indeed happy new year to yourself did christmas treat you well Uh, very well very well it was it was a good break did you overindulge as always. Excellent. That's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> so just looking ahead at some of the stories in this episode, a man gets across the Canadian-US border with the help of his iPad. We also talk about Gaze, which is a new eye-tracking tool designed for Windows 8, and an important figure in industrial design is knighted. But first, I want to remind you that when it comes to running a successful business, there are lots of things you've got to get right. Now, Al, you'll know this because you run a business. Hiring good people is one of the things I say is the most important, but what's often overlooked is protecting the data that powers your business. Now, even something as innocent as a spilt beer or something like that over your laptop, or it could be coffee, it doesn't have to be beer. I've had that happen. (laughs) That was beer for you though, wasn't it? It it was. Actually, it was bourbon. But oh, oh, that's that's really a, a, a double whammy because not only are you losing a good and expensive drink here, but but you're also ruining your data. At the same time. Apparently, 32% of all data loss is caused by human error. And here's the thing. This is is why it's so important, because even a single incident of data loss can cost you up to $10,000 or more to recover that. So imagine imagine if you had lost data and you had to recover it, immediately you can think perhaps around the five-digit figure mark. Absolutely. Data recovery is an expensive gamble. It is. So prevention is better than cure. And that's why I want to tell you about our friends at Mosey, the most trusted name in online backup. They back up more data than the entire written works of mankind from the beginning of recorded history in all languages. That boggles the mind, doesn't it? It boggles my mind. That's for sure. How do they do it? I don't know. But their secret is that it's unbelievably easy to use, and it's affordable. And that's the, the reason why you should be using Mosey Pro for your business. So if you're a doctor, a dentist, or another healthcare professional, for example, you know how important patient information is, right? Charts, x-rays, billing, all that sort of stuff. One study alone estimates that a single episode of intellectual property loss in healthcare can cost nearly $18,000. See, that's what people fa- fail to realize, and they think, oh, you know, it's not going to happen. Uh, And when it does, you know, $18,000, why would you do that to yourself? Mosey Pro is what you should have. Mosey Pro backs up your data to secure data centers, and Mosey can help you be HIPAA compliant. So if you're not backing up your business data with Mosey Pro, here's a reason why you should consider Mosey Pro to back up your business data. Mosey Pro works on both PCs and Macs, and it's great for backing up servers. And here's the thing, you know, A lot of offerings out there will only be for PCs because, you know, it is a large segment of the market. But if you're in a mixed environment, this one would be perfect for you. PCs, Macs, desktops and servers, all taken care of. So if you're not being backed up by Mosey Pro, you really need to make sure your data is backed up. 
Give our friends at Mosey a call. Now, they've been doing this a long time and they run the most secure, most trusted online backup service. Right now, you can save 15% using the promo code PODCAST15. Now, give them a call. This is a US number, 877-6699-776. That's 877-6699-776. Or visit moseypro.com. That's M-O-Z-Y pro.com. All right, so back into the show, and I'd like to welcome the first guest for 2012, Martin Reich from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Welcome along to the show. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Now, the reason we got you on the show, now, I'm sure most of our listeners will know exactly why we've got you on the show, because your name should ring a bell. You're in the news right now, or at least in the, in the past week and a half you've been in the news, because you're known as the guy who got across the US border from Canada without a passport, but instead with an iPad and a scanned copy of your passport. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, that's exactly why I'm, I'm, I'm being recognized everywhere, which is a very strange feeling. <laughs> What's it like to be in the news like that? Your, your photos everywhere. Your, the stories are all, all, all there about you. It's very, it's very bizarre. I mean, it, on one side, it's kind of cool because, you know, uh, I'm always, you know, seeing other news stories flash across, like, you know, the typical viral videos and viral stories that just explode. And you always wonder, like, how does that happen? And why are certain things interesting enough to travel the world? And to, to have a story that's about me travel that quickly all over the place was pretty uh, pretty shocking. I've never been in that position before. I, I, I don't know whether I actually want to, but <laughs> you know, before we get into the details, you live in Montreal, is that right? Yeah, Montreal, Quebec. Right, and you, uh, obviously you, you do travel a lot. What do you do in, in Mon- Montreal? What, what are you? Uh, I'm a freelance photographer, videographer. Uh, I edit uh, photos and video and shoot. Uh, so I, I, do, I do a fair bit of traveling for my work. Now, some of your stuff's available on your, your website. You've put up a, a few things there on safesolvent.com. Yeah, there's, my stuff is pretty much all over You know, the main sites like Vimeo, Flickr, my website, uh, Twitter. Uh, all that stuff helps a lot, especially being freelance, just getting, getting your work out there. Do you also do stuff like uh, put stuff on ThinkStock and iStock Photo and stuff like that? Uh, I have stuff on Getty Images. Uh, they, they license imagery through Flickr, so they have a, a couple of my, my photography. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Nice. And is it true what they say about French-speaking Canada, that uh, there are places where you, you really don't want to use English because, you know, it could be dangerous and vice versa? Is that, <laughs> is that true? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's as sinister sounding in real life as it did just there, but, uh, I mean, there, there are small sections, you know, in the outskirts. Uh, if you go east in Montreal that progressively get, you know, less and less English speaking and more and more Francophone. And, uh, but I, yeah, I've seen that in Europe too. I went to, to Budapest and Prague and there, there are certainly sections where, you know, English is not even uh, a consideration. So you kind of have to figure stuff out. And most people are fairly bilingual in, in Montreal. If they can't at least speak it, they can understand both. Tell me, is, is it actually compulsory in school to, to learn both languages? Uh, there's a whole story about that, but, uh, you know, depending on your parents' mother tongue and where they were born, you kind of have to learn French in school. And uh, so for the most part, yes, but that's a whole, there's a whole story along with that. Sounds a little political. Even. Yeah, yeah, it's very political. <laughs> okay, we won't go there then. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care too much about it. I think it's great that people can, can speak two languages yeah. anymore, so. Yeah. yeah. 
good that they have the opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the the reason we got you on the show is to talk about your your, your recent border crossing. And to, well, you've actually done a few by the sounds of it because you travel a lot. But one particular border crossing when you were going from Canada to to the to the US. There's, there's, I've actually seen some conflicting stories in the in the news. The the story apparently is out there that you you entered uh, with the help of your iPad because you had a scanned copy of your passport. Though you didn't have on this particular occasion, you'd forgotten your your original, your actual paper passport version. And uh, but this seems to be some debate because the U.S. authorities maintain that you wouldn't have been able to get in without a driver's license or some other official. Uh, document. Can you clarify for us what exactly? How how did you get into the border? With with what papers or what technology did you get in across the border? Okay, I mean that, that's the interesting thing to see my story go from. You know, I actually did a. The first thing I did was an audio interview on the CBC, which is Canadian Broadcasting Company. It's like uh, you know our big uh, radio and TV uh, station, and. You know, I told the story exactly as it happened. And from there, the story kind of spread throughout all the news networks. And, you know, depending on how far away from the original uh, source, certain details were left out. And, you know, it gets to end up as a sensational headline like man flashes iPad gets into the U.S. But I, I had the documents that I officially had were my driver's license and there's two kinds of driver's license. One is a, a more advanced one that is currently being offered uh, that will allow you to go through with it. But I had the old-fashioned regular driver's license and uh, my iPad, which contained a scan of my passport. So the the driver's license you had was not the the one that's supposed to let you across. No, I don't know how long they've been offering that you can like upgrade your driver's license to a, uh, I guess, a second-tier driver's license that allows you to do exactly that. I, I don't have that driver's license. I have so, a regular. I, that's interesting. With those new driver's licenses, are they like somehow smart chipped or something? I'm guessing so. I really, I just, I've only heard of them and thought, yeah, that'd be a great idea. And then never thought twice about it. Although now I'm probably going to consider it a bit. Might be a good idea. But the thing is, yeah. you, you had a scanned copy of your passport on your iPad. They actually accepted that a, a, along with your the driver license you had? Yeah. I wow. mean, uh, again, again the, the idea that I had it on my iPad is funny because I had scanned my passport as soon as I had gotten it issued. Uh, I guess four years ago, whenever the the passport was issued as a precaution when I went to Europe. And, you know, I thought, I don't know why, but I thought, you know, if ever I lose my passport, uh, if if I have this, if I go to the embassy, it'll be an easier way to get the paperwork done to get it back. Yeah, Uh, that that makes sense. I can understand that. And, and, you know, when when Dropbox arrived, I had it on my Dropbox. And then so it propagates all my devices. And I kind of have this, you know, backup thing. And so it sat dormant in my Dropbox without any real use. I mean, sometimes I use it to send to clients when they book flights for me just so that they could get all my info. But, uh, you know, I didn't scan it, then leave the house and then cross the border. I, it was kind of a, you know, all circumstance kind of being right at the right time and right place, but I had it on me. So it was just a, a perfect storm of circumstance. Absolutely. I love, I love the idea that that, you know, it couldn't have happened to anyone else without all these circumstances. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I know why the story is so big. It's because those guys at the border are so hard to talk into any into doing anything slightly different, right? They've they've got a, a strict regime and that's what they stick to, which is great. You know, I can understand that. But you managed to actually get through. You managed to pull them around and say, look, I've, I've got this, I've got that. Come on. This is me. So you, you caught a border guard on the right day. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. And, and you know, like, uh, I remember when I did tell the story first, I, I wanted to describe it being on the radio and 
you know, I, I like describing things quite the way I remember them and like to, to give the full picture. And I, you know, I, I remember describing the, the, the reaction of the border guard as being, you know, almost stern, but just, you know, a serious guy, which for most border agents, that's the persona, right? A serious guy doing serious business. And, uh, you know, I, I, I felt sheepish in my explanation as I told him the story of why I'm not handing him over an actual passport. But, you know, when I did explain the story of what happened to him, he kind of, you know, just he, he listened to my story, took my documents and went into the, the Border Patrol house. And, Which and, means he and, probably you know, made, a, made a call to, to a superior. You know, that that's I have no idea. Uh, I never got any explanation. I know that, you know, normally when when you do cross, they take your passport and you know, presumably the scanning process of your barcode or whatever it is that they scan pulls up a file on a computer. And from there, everything is kind of confirmed or, you know, or, uh, you know, they render a judgment call based on mm-hmm. whatever information they have. So, I mean, it's not a far stretch of the imagination that he brought it into the thing. And then based on the information he pulled up from it, made his decision, you know, but, uh, yeah. but the fact remains, I didn't have the actual paper document and I had a facsimile of it. And so my story may, might have, you know, maybe it was because it was the holidays. Maybe it was because, you know, it's, I don't know. Well, I, I just like the fact that these things can go so viral. It's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hey, enjoy, I mean, enjoy your fame while you're have got it. <laughs> you're supposed yeah, to only I, get I, f- 15 minutes of fame. You're getting 15 days at least. Yeah, it, it, that's what people keep saying, 15 minutes. But uh, it, it feels like it's gone on for a while because <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of ended in a, in a strange way at one point where, or well, it was left open-ended where, uh, you know, I heard a Twitter message from someone saying that Wired.com ran a story saying that my story was, quote-unquote, debunked or refuted. And yeah, I, I saw wording like that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, when I, when I heard that, I, I, you know, being on Twitter and them being on Twitter, I just messaged them and told them, well, actually, that's, that's not true. I, I actually did what I said I did. And... Yeah, it's funny because it, it like it, it turns into this whole thing at, at one point where it's like it feels like the people versus the border or me, Martin versus the U.S. customs. And, mm. you know, uh, then, then it becomes, you know, very important for me to extremely accurately, you know, a- express what happens. Oh, yeah. I, I otherwise imagine it... being, you know, someone called out as a liar. Uh, but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of fear was put into me, especially since I had to cross the border often after the fact, uh, once this, you know, accusation came through. But they obviously but, let you back, though. Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> they, they did indeed. And not once. I've had, I've had people mention, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I, I know your face. I know you, you were in the news or something. And, you know, but the, nobody at the airport, nobody in any of my recent couple of trips to the U.S. Uh, even said anything. And I, I heard people mentioned that, oh, this guy's going to get flagged for sure. Like, you know, my file will have something mentioning uh, what happened. But, I mean, if there was, nobody's called me on it. The the thing is, you know, going back to what you're saying about the uh, accuracy of stories, I mean, the media's just notorious for that. And I don't know if it's their fault. I I don't know how this comes about. But, you know, I remember years ago, this goes back to, I think, in the mid-90s, We here in New Zealand, we the biggest mountain in New Zealand is uh, well, a volcano, and it's uh, Mount Ruapehu, a Maori name. So this mountain started erupting. But, you know, let's put things into perspective. It's a mountain in the middle of nowhere where no one lives, <laughs> and there's just a bit of you know lava and things going up. And, you know, there's, there's not an issue. It's interesting, especially mm-hmm. geologically and scientifically. It's very interesting, but that's all it is. 
And, you know, the news progressed from, you know, a mountain in New Zealand erupts to right down the end. You know, I saw stories about how there were these mass evacuations and deaths and it was doomsday. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no one lives there. There's nothing. We we're, we're fine. And that's I mean, the funny thing because as as someone who you know, like obviously I see stories happen all the time. I actually usually take things reported from most sites that and and agencies that I trust as at their face value. You know, they, here's a story of what happened. I never think that there might be you know slight things that are missing from the story. Yeah, and exactly. well, you know, ever since that, I always now quit because these are you know major news sites. They're not just you know independent bloggers or things like that that are that are getting it wrong. So now, when I see a news story, I always sort of think of the back of my mind. You know, is it? But the, the problem, of course, is you you end up in a state where you've got absolutely no no idea of what anything anymore. So it's not healthy. But you know, <laughs> so the question you've always got to ask yourself is, what are they not telling me? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that, that's right. Now, I wanted to move on and talk about gays. Now, for those of you who don't know, gays is, as the name suggests, it's a to do with the eyes. It's an eye-tracking tool. So it's kind of just, I guess, the next evolution of the uh, the user interface on, on devices. And I, I say devices now because I'm not just talking about computers. I'm talking about tablets and phones and whatnot. And it, it means that rather than clicking or touching, especially uh, touching is not so good when you've got a vertical surface like a laptop screen or a desktop screen, Gaze allows you to figure out exactly where you're wanting to click by examining your eyes and it can work out where you're looking on the screen. Now, yeah, it does eye tracking. I watched a quick demo of this and the thing is with demos, of course, they always show you the, the, the ones that, that work smoothly. What I would like to know is really in real life, how, how is this going to pan out? How, how accurate is it going to be? But... From what I've seen, it looks absolutely fantastic. What um, do you guys think? Have you seen? Have you seen in, the? Inter- interestingly enough, um, I haven't seen the the promo video that is linked on the article, but I have seen. I, w- I was watching some um, live coverage of CES, and um, they had the guy from Toby on in in one of the, their spots, and and he demonstrated it live on there, and and it works. Wow. Now, Martin, did you see that at, at CES? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I was at the Microsoft booth for a couple of things, uh, and I saw the Surface. I saw their, they had this other thing where you were uh, virtually dressing yourself, like trying on different clothes, and it was uh, tracking. <laughs> but I, I, believe, I believe that was done with their Connect, so I don't think it was this. Uh, right. I, don't, I think I might have missed that. CES is so huge, though, to be honest. Yeah. Even, I was there with a schedule. And in appointments and meetings with people, and even those barely got done. Uh, it's it's crazy. Was there anything that kept your attention particularly? You thought was really great, was uh, revolutionary. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there was this company, I believe it's called Fullerton Technologies, and their their whole thing was uh, they called conductive charging, where basically they have they they install something in, in a surface, and then the devices that you use have you know a, a receiver, and you can just charge them by having the two touching. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's so, in, inductive charging. Inductive, inductive yeah. charging, yeah. It shows that I wasn't paying attention to the, the, the brochure. But yeah, that, that was fantastic, and, like, the implementations they showed were really great. Like, just one that was pretty, you know, it's what you'd expect is the next thing. The, the dashboard of a, a vehicle is completely set up for that, so you just toss your phone on, on the dashboard as you're driving and it's charged. Well, you just mentioned vehicles, and the, one of the things I was going to say was they've been trialing this as well for, for electric cars themselves. So the idea is right. you, you park in your garage 
and underneath is the inductive right. mat, and you don't you don't have to worry about oh I'm going to have to plug the car in now because people just won't do it and they'll forget. You know, you drive in over this, you know, in your garage. You've got the surface underneath. You just drive in and walk away, just like you do normally, and it charges so, the electric car. It's the replacement you know that- of the oil tray. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so it's all clean now. Yeah. All green. I don't know if you guys have this. I'm sure it's not just in North America, but you know, like when you get to a red light and uh, there's like a sensor at the line that can tell if there's enough cars to, to yeah. warrant having the light switch. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just thinking like, imagine you kind of put that into the in- infrastructure of the city's design. I mean, tr- cars could be charging at any moment. Yeah. Of, of, yeah of and anytime they're on the road. Totally. Right, I just so- want to know who would pay for that though. Imagine that. I mean, I'd be happy with that. Free power. But. I think, it's, I think the, the city would pay for it, and in, in turn, our taxes would then pay for it. But Absolutely. That would get rolled that, up into your registration fees for your vehicles oh, and okay, that, that sort of could, stuff. That could work. I can see yeah. that happening. Yeah, I can see. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. Because, you know, because the, the issue of power and charging is such a, you know, like for all the technology we have, we're, we're limited and daisy and ball and chained by the, the power issue more than anything now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, one of the big things too with electric cars is they say that it can't take off quickly because if it, even if it did, we wouldn't be able to generate the electricity we need to uh, generate to power these things. There's oh. just so many, you know, there's you know millions or uh, well billions of cars worldwide. So, so back to CES. Was there anything else, Martin, that that you uh, that caught your attention there? Certainly, those there's a couple of other implementations of that technology, but that that was definitely one of the standouts. Uh, the, you know, the thing is. It felt like this year was a lot about technology that exists, but that is getting closer to being accessible by the general public. And, uh, well, mainly 3D TVs and uh, 3D TVs without glasses. So those, for me, that was like, it was overwhelming how much that was a part of CES. And so for a lot of it, it was just seeing things, you know, I mean, we already know about 3D TV and we already seen them, but these are just like, you know, models coming closer and closer to affordability and size and, you know, so, uh, all the big companies like uh, Samsung and, and Sony were, were displaying a lot of that technology. Yeah, there was some really cool um, sort of 55-inch OLED TVs. Yeah, Samsung's OLED. They, yeah. they were beautiful, beautiful. And Sharp had a 8K like an yes. 80-inch 8K display, which just yeah. looked amazing. Complete I, I prototype pilot device, but uh-huh. yeah. Did you see it? I, yeah, I did see it. I actually, the, the whole 4K thing interests me a lot because I, I just picked up a Red Scarlet, which is uh, a camera that does actually shoot in 4K. Yeah. And you know, at this point, I personally don't have a single device that can actually play the native resolution that this camera records in. And so to see something that's like, and, and so 4K is just coming into the market, which means you know that they have 8K and, a, you know, whatever above in the background as, you know, what comes next. So to yeah, see in, that... in the R&D. Yeah, so to see that was pre- pretty impressive. So what's the 4K we're talking about here? Um, uh, 4K it, is, so is 4 by 1080p. So yeah, it's... It, it's 4,000. No, no it, it, yeah, yeah, effectively, it, 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 it's four times the resolution of 1080p. Like more dense. Oh, okay. Like, Sorry, I, I thought you meant four four thousand pixels across ten ten eighty. No, no. Okay, right. So four times ten eighty p. It's essentially that. I mean, four K would be four thousand ninety six by mm. three thousand. Right. Okay. Um, oh wow. Yeah. Uh, so to, yeah, so to see you know, and it's funny because I think YouTube, oddly enough, can now 
support uploading of 4K files. Which oh, really? It does. Of, it does. There's only like of, eight of them or something. <laughs> well, it's kind of, mind, kind of mind-blowing because, you know, we, we can stream fairly good, uh, you know, 1080p content now to think that they're already set up for 4K. But, I mean, you know, what screen are you going to watch 4K on at this point via, sure. via YouTube? And plus, you know, it, it's funny because YouTube is the host of what? 4K cat videos or yeah. something? Yeah, 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 <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, lolcats and 4K. I mean, you know, <laughs> do we really want to? Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, it, it always seemed to me that, that it, you know, video, television and, and um, you know, DVD, you know, home theater, if you like, was always trailing behind computer screens for a long time. You know, I remember we went to 720, when 720p was kind of cool. And, yeah. and you know, but we still had computer screens that were, you know, more far, than ten Far in advance, yeah, of far in advance yeah, of that. Yeah. But now it's obviously catching up and perhaps even overtaking. Although I guess there's nothing stopping you from plugging your computer into one of those screens. No, absolutely not. That's if the video card can drive it. Or and most, drive most, re- resolution. Good, mm. most good um, graphics cards would be able to these days. Oh, would they? Yeah. See, I'm not a gamer, so I'm never really up with the uh, the fastest and the best of the the crop. But I know you, yeah. Al, you're a keen gamer. Indeed. You know, I really would love to go to CES. It's you know, uh, I mean, down here in New Zealand, it's it's so far to travel just for that. You know, you'd have to make it more of a trip than than just going to CES. And with two young kids, that's almost impossible. But I'd love to go one year, and I will go one year. It's, yeah, it'd be it, like it, Candyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, they, it's hey, look, it's they, overwhelming. Here's the thing: they can go to Disneyland somewhere or some some theme park, and I'll go to see. Yes, <laughs> that'll keep both sides happy. Trust me. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny though. There were there were even booths that catered to you know. Th- th- these are also emerging technologies that involve you know uh, education and 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 younger younger kids because technology the way it's going like you know you see all the all the uh, YouTube videos of children using iPads and iPhones with the multi touch. Uh, interface and how you know intuitive it is they pick it up and they know what to do before they even know how to speak so there's a lot of actually uh, interesting companies doing stuff I can't name any but I remember walking by them in the buzz of CS where you know their focus was educational stuff for young people and and kids and and all sorts of age groups that you wouldn't expect at CS but you know devices and attachments accessories geared towards that there was actually also a couple of iPad accessories I'm not sure if the company's called iHealth but it was, you know, uh, third-party uh, hardware adapters that plug into the dock port at the bottom. Oh, They're I like see. Blood, yeah. blood pressure tests. Uh, there was one, and I wish I had seen the details of it, uh, but I think it was called iPregnancy. And, you know, I, I don't know how it works as far as, you know, if you pee on the device or whatever. But it, 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 seemed, like a, it, it, it seemed like a pregnancy test, uh, but you could probably Google that and get the accurate uh, Information. You, you want to make my, sure that the cord's long enough so you don't accidentally right. pee on yeah. the on the that's, iPad. <laughs> that's that's precisely why wireless technology in all aspects is important. Ah, so yes, there you go. Yeah. So the we can wireless. Pee on our, can pee on our devices from far away. <laughs> <laughs> Remote pee. <laughs> precisely. Uh, that's that's probably a brand name that's going to get picked up very quickly. <laughs> I think it would. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's that's something I really hadn't we hadn't seen a lot of. I don't think, and that is the. Uh, peripherals for the iPad. We haven't really seen a lot of hardware devices. And you uh, know, they, they announced, they announced uh, when the iPad, or even when the iPhone came out really early on, that they were going to have a lot of support for third-party hardware, you know, actually, uh, you know, certified by Apple that works with the iPhone dock, right? So that, you know, you can mm. actually program, there's an API and you could access physical devices like that. But there wasn't anything that really came out 
for two, three years. I mean, I still don't see many things, but now at CS there was a bunch. I guess over the next few years, we'll, we'll see, see those become more commonplace. Now, so while we're on the, uh, the subject of iPads and Apple, did you also notice the, uh, with, as part of the New Year's Honours list, uh, Johnny Ive, who, who, of course, is the industrial designer at Apple, who's designed the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, pretty much the i-anything. He's now Sir Johnny. He's been knighted. Indeed. I did hear that. Sir Jonathan Ive. Now, I don't, I don't know what, it, what it's like in, in North America, but, because, I mean, you guys seem to use Sir as a, as a kind of a... Nom de plume. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, like just out of, uh, you know, you might say, yes, sir. Of course, here. Well, I, said that, I said that to you at the beginning when we were chatting. Yes, sir. I mean, the, it's the, a, kind of a, a slightly uh, uh, aristocratic, polite thing, I guess. That's I right. Know. And it seems to be a, a sort of North American thing. Of course, uh, being Sir Johnny Ive is, uh, is, uh, is a very big honor. And, uh, you know, I think this is kind of fitting, you know. I mean, look at what he's done. I think he deserves it. I mean, if Sean Connery's acting career deserves it, this guy deserves it too. <laughs> well, when you compare and, those and, and two, I say maybe. That, I, say that, I say that with the greatest respect for Sean Connery. I mean, if things like that deserve to be knighted, Johnny Ives, go for it. Man. There we He's go. Yeah. There we go. Actually, are you an Apple man yourself, uh, Martin? Do you have an iPhone, iPad? What, what are you? Or are you a Samsung guy? What are you? Well, you sure know that I have an iPad. Uh, so, yes, I'm, I'm definitely an Apple guy. And, and I actually, the one, one quote which... I felt really good about that somebody like actually put that in. I was a reporter from Montreal for the local newspaper called The Gazette. And I, I can't even quote myself properly because I don't remember how I phrased it. But I did think that if Steve Jobs was alive, this story would have gotten around to him. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he would have either gotten a chuckle out of it or, you know, maybe they're already working on stuff like that. But I, I did tell a lot of interviewers that I thought that there, sh- there will be a some maybe this will be a catalyst, this story to, you know, get either an application or hardware built into these devices that will allow governments to feel safe enough that you can put your documents, not a scan, right, but actually have official encrypted high, yeah, high yeah. 128-bit encryption on a document that is, you know, you can now travel with your device and be able to pass through uh, security checks. Because, I mean, you know, if you can, people have been forging passports for as long as there have been passports. So, you know, the, the idea that saying, oh, well, a phone can be lost and hacked it's just as hackable and losable as a paper passport, right? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Totally. And I think you're right, actually, if, if, if Jobs was still around. I, I think, you know, somewhere in Cupertino, he'd be sitting there in front of the computer looking at the story and having a good little chuckle to himself. I'm, I'm sure you're right on that. I'd like to uh, think that he, I know he also emails a lot of people for silly things like, you know, emails about customer service things. So I'd like to think I would have gotten an email from him, and I think that would be pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Absolutely. I think we're technologically progressing in that direction anyway, because um, we're starting to get to the point where financial transactions are, are occurring through mobile phones and, and that sort of stuff and sort of official government documents. And it is, is only sort of the next iteration on that sort of um, trend. Mm-hmm. You're right. And one day I think we'll probably have, you know, official hardware, official, uh, officially encrypted data in some way that, that we can use at an official level. Mm. All right, look, I want to thank you very much, Martin, for taking the time to talk to us about your fantastic passportless border crossing. That was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, do keep in touch. And now that you've participated on the Boys of Tech, like I tell all guests, you're now part of the family. If you ever like to come back for another episode, you are most welcome. Maybe I'll try coming back to uh, Australia with my passport. Yeah, yeah try, <laughs> Good luck. try in Australia or New Zealand. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it it probably won't be on the, on the iPad, though. I would carry the physical one with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> All right, look, thanks, Martin. And by the way, if people want to get in touch with you or, or, or get in contact with you, what's the best way? Have you got a Twitter or, or website or something? Yeah, uh, safesolvent.com. Uh, and the way the story broke was on Twitter. So, I mean, people people can reach me there. Same thing, uh, at safesolvent. Okay, safesolvent. So that, that's kind of your handle pretty much yeah, everywhere. Yeah, that's my company name, my handle, my alias. Uh, Excellent. That's me. All right, good one. Thank you very much, Martin, and all the best. Thank you, guys. All right. No worries. Well, imagine that, crossing the border without a passport. I, I want to try that myself. It would be an interesting experience to uh, see the reaction that you get from the, from the border people. You know, I think, I'm I sure think, some, <laughs> some of them wouldn't be as understanding. Yeah, the thing, the thing is, I, I think a lot of people will be trying this as well. They're going to get all these copycats. Oh, I've scanned my passport yeah. too. Can I come through? But, you know, of course it wasn't. He didn't do it like that. That'd be, that's, no. But, you know, people will be trying to copy it, I, I, I think. All right. want to talk about a couple of stories on Apple. First of all, I don't know if you saw the little side story there that they're considering legal action over the Steve Jobs action doll. Another one. <laughs> Another one, yeah. This, you know, there's, a, there's an image I'm looking at uh, from nicons.com, and the, the action doll looks just like the real thing. The face is like scary accurate. I know. I know. It's And then it's got these detachable hands which just look freaky. <laughs> they do. They look, the rest looks, the arms are completely fake. But the face, I, I'm yeah. always wondering if that's a slightly photoshopped image or something. Oh, uh, well, probably it, not. Because how would they? They got that so. That is so good. Yeah, yeah. When you if you first glance at that photo, you think I'm looking at Steve Jobs. You're not. You're mm. looking at an action doll. Yeah. Wow. When when I loaded the page and the first bit of the image actually rendered and and I saw his face, I thought, oh, that's a photo. But then the the image kept rendering, and I saw, oh, fake hands. That's not, that's not actually a photo. That's exactly what I thought. They've actually done a really good job. Now these are selling on eBay for 135 dollars. And it's a Chinese firm that's making them. Apple's not very happy. They're threatening to sue. Watch this space. But here's the other interesting story about Apple that uh, I wanted to uh, spend a bit of time on. And that is this patent they've applied for. It's a patent for a new power adapter. And this power adapter is a smart power adapter. It remembers passwords or at least clues to passwords. Now, you might be thinking, what? What are you talking about? Well, here's the thing. According to Apple... Usually when, there's, when a theft of a, an electronic device occurs, whether it's your iPad or your, your laptop, or even your desktop for that matter, they won't usually take the power adapter, right? They'll make off with your laptop or perhaps you've left your laptop somewhere, but usually you retain the power cord yourself or it's been you know, left behind. So Apple's reasoning is that with this new system, they won't get your passwords because they'll, they'll be retained or, or what you need to get your password if it's not your password itself will be retained in the power adapter. This sort of puzzles me a little bit because, I mean, the, the whole concept is based on the fact or on the assumption that people don't travel with their power adapters. I mean, I do. I always have my, my laptop's power adapter with me. What about you? Well, I do. I do take the power adapter with me just like you do. But the thing is, when I'm out and about, the power adapter might be at my hotel room or, or the, my friend's place where I'm staying, and, and it's just the laptop that I've actually got out. So it's less likely to be stolen together. Maybe I'm uh, sort of uh, in the minority then because I, I, I almost always have my power adapter in my bag with me. So if, if, if I'm carrying around my laptop, I need a bag to carry the laptop around and my power adapter is almost always in the bag with Oh, it. I see. So someone makes off with your laptop bag, they've got yeah, your laptop and your power exactly. adapter. Exactly. They've, the, they've got the whole package. 
Yeah, okay. The thing is, it's never going to be 100%, but you know, at least there's an opportunity that you might be able to retain your passwords. Exactly. I like the fact that they're also thinking that part of the password might get broken down and segmented once it's been encrypted, and then part of the password is stored in the power adapter. Part of it might be stored on your um, Wi-Fi router. Part of it's on the PC, so that you need all of those things together to do the restore. So that would work better for me rather than just having the dual factor of like laptop and power adapter. If, if yeah. you um, diversify that even further and, and, and make it so that it's just additional peripherals in your house and, and that might be your printer or your Wi-Fi router or your um, network attached storage device, the combination of all of those things is what helps basically do the the restore of that password. That might work a bit better. And that would be really good because for someone who's unauthorized, it would make their life near and impossible to, yeah. you know, to, to crack through. But of course, for yourself, you know, you know your password. So if one of your devices blows up, like your printer blows up, it doesn't mean you've lost everything. You know what your password is in theory. And, and you can and you can carry on if you, you know, if, if you need to do a, a restore or a reset of something. So, you know, I, I can kind of see where they're going with this. I don't think this is going to be groundbreaking or anything, no, but, but I think no. it's a nice um, nice little idea. Indeed, it, it's a piece of the puzzle. It is. It is. And that concludes the international section of this week's podcast. But don't go away, because right after the break, we'll come back with a couple of New Zealand stories. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Now, I want to talk about an interesting use of social networking for catching criminals, which, a case in point, just over Christmas, there's some burglars at work over the Christmas period, in fact, on Christmas Day, and one of the houses nearby to where the burglary was taking place was equipped with CCTV, and it captured an image of a woman assisting in the burglary. She was acting as a lookout. And the thing about this story is that someone had posted this on Facebook, 11 thousand Facebook people joined up this you know joined this group to have a look at this image and to try and help identify this woman. So that's eleven thousand people. So we've got some social crime solving here going on. Yeah. This is awesome. I like it. I really like it. Now it's not the first time this sort of thing has happened, but it's certainly, you know, it, it, it's uh, certainly in the New Zealand section here. This is something that happened in Caraca, which is in, in South Auckland. Isn't that fantastic? 11,000 people join forces thinking, oh, let's help figure out who this person is and we can ho- hopefully hold some people accountable. Absolutely. It, it helped that the, uh, the neighbourhood had uh, security conscious people as neighbours that had CCTV, closed circuit CTV cameras looking at the neighbourhood, which is kind of cool and creepy at the same time. Here's another story involving a New Zealander. This time it's a slightly better news story. And it kind of reminds me of, in fact, how, how you, Al, and, and Cameron first got onto this show. Uh, and it was back in episode 64, I believe. Where yeah, we absolutely. Co- where we covered a story, didn't we, about your company name, which we won't mention again because we agreed not to say. Indeed. But it's, it's now Drinkle.com, <laughs> but it was something else that Google took exception to. And this story that I want to cover now is kind of reminds me of that. A little bit. There's parallels. There are some parallels. This one is about a man called Hayden Crowther. He has a business making a waterproof and shockproof iPhone covers. 
and he's calling one of his products the dry phone. And Apple kind of might be taking exception to that. I think they've heard from Apple's lawyers. They haven't had any particular uh, threat of legal action, uh, as I understand, just yet. But certainly the fact that the lawyers have got in touch with them indicate that Apple's perhaps not too happy about that. Mm. They're wanting an extension of time in which they can object. That's right. Here's the thing. I mean, Hayden did all the right things and he applied to have the trademark registered. And there's a period during which anyone can make an objection. And that was, if you like, Apple's opportunity to do that. I can use a pun right now. They had Apple opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, you know, they did. They had ample opportunity to file their objection, and they didn't. And uh, Apple's kind of wanting an extension. I mean, why would you agree to that? Why would... Absolutely. You know, it's like, uh, no. Yeah. I'm not going to help you. You had six months. Exactly. I'm not going to help you uh, object to my trademark, actually. No. (laughs) But there you go. He's... uh, We'll see what happens. So it kind of... It reminded me of the parallels with uh, the uh, the company that is now known as Drinkle, but formerly known as a name that might have sounded slightly like Google if you were slightly drunk. Indeed, and the kind listeners can uh, can do a search and and Google us and find out what we <laughs> yeah. were once called. Isn't that ironic? You well, we're not to do legally that. allowed to actually call ourselves now. No, yeah. So you know, this is kind of a similar thing, and you know, I I can kind of see both sides. I mean, he's calling it the dry phone because. You know, it's it's about keeping your phone dry. It's it's a waterproof case, and it's for the iPhone. And of course, dry phone sounds like iPhone, and I think it's that second part that Apple don't like. I think it's also the spelling of it. So it, that he actually spells it with an I. If he spelt it dry, as in the proper spelling of dry, he might have gotten away with it. Yeah, actually, I I think you might have a point there, and that is you're absolutely right. He's spelling it D R I, which yeah. is again, a bit too similar to iPhone. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, I think you're right on that second point as well. If he kept it as dry, spelt dry correctly, D-R-Y, I that can see that. would have had less, less ground to stand on. Exactly. Good luck to you, Hayden. Yes, good luck to you and your business. And that concludes the very first episode, Al, of 2012. Yay. Woohoo. Yeah, we did it. Uh, and wasn't it, wasn't it great having Martin on the show? It was great. It was it was good to have an insight into CES. It was, and it was a great way, I think, of kicking off 2012. Fabulous. So, Al, thank you very much, as per usual, for co-hosting the show with me. You are very welcome. And we'll see you, hopefully, next week, along with all our listeners as well. Until then, take care, everyone, and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.